Hi everyone, welcome to September and welcome to the September uh, session of the construction webinar series here coming to you from Lois Law Firm live. Um, I hope everyone had a really nice long weekend. I know this is a new uh, day for the webinar, so thank you for putting aside the time to join me here today. Um, we're going to talk about global settlements today. Um, as you know, I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm, and I oversee the construction defense uh, team here. Uh, we focus only on construction workers' compensation claims. I am also the author of the 2020 Construction Defense Handbook, which is new. Um, we will have a newer version next year that we're currently working on. Um, if you need a copy, I can definitely get you a copy, a hard copy, or we also have PDF copies. So definitely send me an email or give me a call and let me know. Um, all right, so let's get into it, what we're going to discuss today. So we've been talking all year long about dual jurisdiction claims, and the focus has been on how to save money, right? Because that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do for our clients. So today we're going to talk about settling workers' comp and general liability claims at the same time and how global settlements can reduce exposure. And we're not talking about global settlements in the sense of a Section 32 uh, full and final, which includes the indemnity and the medical. We're talking about global settlements that include a full and final Section 32 plus the general liability claim. Uh, since this is a live session, at the end, there will be an opportunity for you to ask questions, and I will answer them live. Um, all right, let's get into it. Oh, this is what this, the screen's going to look like, but you're going to type in your questions in the end, and I'll be able to see them. All right, so I wanted to do a quick recap on dual jurisdiction claims. So as you know, the claimants can bring both a workers' compensation and a general liability claim, and I'd say 95% of the construction claims we see a general liability claim because it usually involves a fall from a height or, you know, the, the fault of someone else that caused the injury. In wrap-ups, which are the OSIPs and CSIPs, there's one common owner and usually one carrier, and this is why we focus so heavily on how the owner can save money when we do these global settlements. And even though there's one carrier, they still play two roles. So we have the workers' comp carrier, quote unquote, and then we have the GL carrier. And even, you know, it, it could be one entity. It's generally one entity. I rarely see two different entities um, in these in these OSIP scenarios. Um, so because of this, things like lien, lien reimbursements and consent to settle are still issues that need to be addressed. <clears throat> All right, so November I'll be talking, the focus is going to be on discussing um, how to calculate exposure. 
But I just wanted to go through really quickly Kelly, Burns, and Bissell because these are calculations that are usually made by the claims handlers, by the adjusters, when they are um, determining whether it's best to uh, settle out the workers' compensation claim with a GL claim and how it can actually save the client money. So I'm just going to briefly go over it. These are the names that we love and hate so much, Kelly, Burns, and Bissell. Um, it, it aids in calculating your potential future exposure, which you factor into how you're going to, um, you know, address a, a potential settlement, whether to close out the workers' comp claim or to leave it open, which usually closing it out with a GL claim saves more money. So for Kelly, we've all, we, all, we all know about Kelly. Um, it's, it deals with the reimbursement of cur the current lien, which is the total indemnity and medicals that have been paid on the file. And Kelly is applicable where the workers' comp carrier would be responsible for ongoing benefits. It can take credits against the payment of these benefits until the third-party settlement is exhausted. Uh, for the purposes of settlement, the part of Kelly that's really important is the reimbursement of the current lien, which is the amount that the carrier has paid out to date. Burns. Burns outlines calculations, how calculations are made when the future benefits are speculative. So Kelly deals with uh, when the calculations are non-speculative, for example, in an SLU situation, Burns focuses on the classic LWEC situation because even though a claimant may be found to ha um, <clears throat> have a, you know, 50% LWEC, which would entitle him to 300 weeks of compensation, he could return to work and that's what makes it speculative. <clears throat> Or he can, or he can be uh, returning to work with reduced earnings, so we'd still be paying some money, but not the full LWEC value. So unlike Kelly, um, the benefits for Burns are calculated on an ongoing benefit, uh, ongoing basis. So when you hear someone talk about Burns, it's usually, well, what's going to be our Burns payments going forward, meaning from the date of uh, settlement of the general liability claim. And uh, the claimant continues to receive payments at a reduced rate. The rate is calculated using the Kelly formula, and it continues until the claimant's net settlement is exhausted. And at that point, it then reverts to the full rate. Um, that does not include the, the, the cost of litigation deduction. And <clears throat> finally, we have Bissell. Bissell really focused on the medical cost, the future medical cost, because when there's a third-party settlement and we take into consideration uh, reimbursements and what the workers' compensation carrier is responsible for, they are responsible for ongoing med uh, medical benefits as well, but subject to the, um, the reimbursement. So the workers' comp carrier would be liable for its equitable share of litigation costs and future medical treatment. The rate is the Burns rate, and because we, we can't calculate how for sure how much the future uh, medical cost is going to be, um, it's usually paid on an ongoing basis after the treatment is actually incurred. Um, the 
The claimant is usually responsible for the balance of the treatment. I mean, someone has to pay for it, not the workers' compensation carrier. And if there's ever an issue, the court can fashion how and when the payments are made. So, for example, and this is what we recommend to our clients all the time, the, the claimant pays, and then the workers' compensation carrier reimburses. Okay, so let's, uh, let's keep that in the back of our minds. We have Kelly, Burns, and Bissell. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's talk about the actual global settlements now. Whenever there's a general liability claim, commonly referred to as a third-party claim, the workers' compensation carrier must consent to settle that claim. So the claimant must seek, must proactively seek consent from the workers' compensation carrier. So, you know, earlier I mentioned that there's usually just one carrier with like two hands and one's the workers' comp side and one's the GL side. So the workers' comp side usually sends over a letter to the GL side saying, hey, we consent to your settlements. You can go ahead and, you know, uh, resolve your claim. So this is all under Section uh, 29.5 of workers' compensation law, which provides that if the claimant does not um, get the workers' compensation carrier's written consent, then the claimant will be disqualified from receiving workers' compensation benefits. We have seen this a couple of times, um, but it's not very common, again, because it's uh, one carrier and there's usually collaboration during the settlement negotiations, wherein the workers' compensation side of the carrier knows that the general liability side is going to be set and consent is usually discussed at that point. Um, so it's not usually an issue in wrap-ups. Uh, however, the thing about the consent, because of the global settlements, there are oftentimes contingencies to the settlement, which let's talk about those because these contingencies are the are, are, are the ones that lead to the global settlement that we are in favor of that would ultimately save the client money. So <clears throat> when one of my clients come to me and say, hey, the GL claim is about to settle. We're planning on giving consent to the settlement. However, we want to close out both claims together. So we said, okay, what are the terms that you're looking to, under, under what terms are you looking to close out both claims together? And they would tell me, well, we're either going to do a full or partial lien waiver um, with a Section 32 settlement. So can you put together the consent slash lien reimbursement or lien terms letter? And our letters are usually at least two pages long because we detail all of the conditions of the consent. Our consent, our meaning the workers' compensation side, our consent is contingent on, you know, the the claimant agreeing to a Section 32 settlement ultimately. If the claimant pulls out of the settlement or if for any reason the board does not um, approve the settlement, we are going to take our full lien back or the partial lien back or whatever other conditions um, we choose to lay out if the Section 32 doesn't go forward. This is really to uh, push the claimant to settle out the workers' compensation claim so the, 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 the carrier is no longer uh, facing exposure 
on the workers' compensation side after the general liability claim is closed out. <clears throat> so best practices for global settlement. We, we've seen three, three distinct outcomes. The first is when there's no coordination between workers' compensation and general liability. Um, this is almost never the case in wrap-ups because, you know, there's one owner, there's one carrier, everyone knows what's going on, so there's usually coordination. But we have seen a couple of situations over the years where there's no coordination, the GL claim closes out, and then the workers' compensation claim is left open. We're like, well, hey, guys, what's going on here? You know, you left yourself to full exposure for permanency, LWEC potential, uh, permanent total disability payments, and medical payments for life. What's going on here? So <clears throat> with my rapid clients, I always counsel them to let's think about closing up both cases together. The second scenario would be the cases settling out together with the workers' compensation claim resolving via Section 32, but with some fresh money moving in the Section 32. This is not the worst case scenario, but from what we've seen, it's not the best case scenario either. The best case scenario, which is the third outcome, would be settling out the cases together with the workers' compensation claim resolving via Section 32 with a fuller partial lien waiver and no fresh money moving. So technically, the money moving on the Section 32, the consideration, would be the full or partial lien waiver. And this is important because when we draft the Section 32 and we submit it to the board, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the board needs to see that there's some kind of Section 32. And you'll hear probably from your defense counsel, a lot of times saying a $0 Section 32. I'll tell you this, the board is never going to approve a $0 Section 32 because that technically means that there's no consideration. So when drafting the Section 32 documents, you have to ensure that your attorneys actually put it in there what the consideration is. So the consideration in this particular situation would be either a full lien waiver or a partial lien waiver and then there's no problem with the board approving the Section 32. So <clears throat> these are the three common outcomes. I have prepared three examples for you. I'll do my best to explain them, but um, if you need a copy of the slides, I'll, I'll, I'll make them available to you. They're also in my books. So you can take a look at them a little more detailed. Um, so let's look at the first situation. No coordination. We have the workers' compensation claim where between the medical and indemnity, $50,000 has been paid out, and potential LWEC would be $250,000. On the general liability side, the case is settled for $1.5 million. After taking out the attorney's fees, and let's, let's just assume for simplicity's sake that there's uh, $0 in costs, it's 33.3%, take out $500,000, the claimant's going to go home with a million dollars, okay? This percentage is going to be used to calculate our reimbursement, our lien reimbursement 
and also any burns payments on the workers' compensation end. So in this particular case, we've paid out $50,000. Uh, the reimbursement would be $33,350, deducting the 33.3% cost of litigation on the general liability side. And then we'll have the weekly benefit reduction for 300 weeks, assuming it's a 50% LWEC that's going to amount to the $250,000 that I have up here in the top column, okay? So with that, the total exposure to the carrier is going to be the $1.5 million plus the $83,250 uh, that's going to be paid at the $277.50 per week for 300 weeks. That's the, um, the potential LWEC uh, plus the <clears throat> unreimbursed medical and um, indemnity costs. That would be $16,650, and then the total would be $1 million, uh, almost $600,000 plus open medical moving forward. It's important that we note this because since there's no collaboration, the workers' comp claim is going to remain open, which means the claimant's going to be entitled to medical treatment for life. And <clears throat> the total cash received by the claimant at the time of global at the time of settlement of just the uh, third party claim, I should say, the GL claim, would be a million eighty-three dollars two hundred a million eighty-three thousand two hundred and fifty dollars plus the open medical. So the exposure remains open, and you're actually still paying a great deal on the workers' compensation side. Okay, I hope you're following. If you have any questions at the end, just let me know. All right, so the second scenario is if there's a general liability in a Section 32 settlement, and there, this is where fresh money would be moving to the claimant. So, again, we have medical indemnity. Total is uh, $50,000, and um, <clears throat> the Section 32 for $250,000, his GL claim has been settled for $1.5 million. Uh, the reimbursement that you would be getting from all of the money paid, which includes the medical indemnity and the Section 32 for $250, which is a total of $300,000, would be $200,000. So your loss is uh, $100,000. So your total exposure to the employer and carrier in both jurisdictions would be your $1.5 million plus the $100,000. And the claimant's going to receive $1,100,000 at the end of the day. So in this particular situation, you're, you're paying to the claimant um, under the Section 32, technically $250,000. You're getting back the two hundred. dollars He's going to give you back the two hundred dollars from the GL claim, which means you've paid out in fresh money $100,000. Okay. And I hope you're still with me and I haven't lost you yet. So this is the third example. And this is the one that's usually the, the most preferable and the one that saves the client the most money. So here again, we're going to say that medical indemnity paid to date in the workers' compensation ends $50,000. Potential LWEC is $250,000. 
the civil action has been settled for $1.5 million. Uh, the reimbursement's going to be the waiver of the, um, the, the Section 29 lien. So the Section 29 lien in this particular case would be the, the amount that we paid to date, which would be $50,000. Uh, we deduct our 33.3%, that's how we reduce it, and you'd be entitled to $33,350 as of today. So in this particular situation, we're thinking of a Section 32 where the consideration for the Section 32 is the waiver of the lien to date, which would be the waiver of the $33,350, Closure of the general liability claim for $1.5 million, and then when we draft up our Section 32 documents, no additional money is going to be moving to the claimant. So your exposure would be $1,033,350 and no future medical exposure, no potential LWEC. We don't have to worry about that potential $250,000 we would have to spend if it goes to trial, and the total received by the claim to settlement is $1 million. As you can see from the three different scenarios, this is the one that saves the clients the most money because if we're looking at the total exposure to the employer and carrier, and in this particular one, the total exposure is the least. So let me see if I go back. Here, the first scenario where there's no coordination, your exposure is uh, $1.5 million plus um, the, the reimbursement, the, the, the reimbursement plus the um, future medicals going forward. And then in this particular situation where money is moving on the section 32, your exposure is still $1,600,000. And in this one, your exposure is the least. It's $1,033,000. 300, sorry guys, $1,033,350, it's the least, and your medical is closed out, right? So we have to keep thinking about the medical because it's not only about the indemnity and if there are surgeries that are uh, coming down the pike, that can cost a lot of money. So the fact that the medical is going to be closed out, that's key. So with these examples, what, what, am I, what am I saying? What am I telling you guys here today? And what am I telling my clients? I'm simply saying that there should be coordination and there should be serious consideration of global settlement, which includes either a partial or a full lien waiver, especially when the case is uh, pre-permanency, when there's no permanency or LWEC determination. And there should be close, closure of the medicals. This is the way you're going to save the most money. All right, so some practical advice for global settlements. Unfortunately, we have to consider whether a Medicare set-aside is necessary even when we're doing the global settlements, even when there's no money moving on the Section 32. I usually counsel my clients in having the MSA done on the GL side from the claimant's GL proceeds. So this usually gives um, the GL defense attorney a little more leverage because it's not additional money coming out of the, the carrier or the owner's pockets. 
to pay for the MSA, especially when it's a high MSA over $100,000. MSAs go to come out of the claimant's GL proceeds. And then in the Section 32 documents, we'll simply list it there that, you know, the parties, the, the carrier and the, the claimant have taken Medicare's interest into consideration. The claimant's going to be um, uh, taking the money out of his GL proceeds and putting it aside in satisfaction of the MSA. And that's usually sufficient for in the event that uh, CMS were to come and say, hey, did you, did you take Medicare's interest into consideration in the settlement? And we're going to say, yes, the claimant did get money from a general liability claim that arose out of this same work accident. And on that side, there was the agreement for the MSA to come out of the proceeds. Just something to know, we should be mindful that on the general liability side, the attorney's fees are calculated using the MSA as a basis. So oftentimes you'll see the claimant's attorney on that side pushing to actually do the MSA on the general liability side so they can get a bigger attorney's fees. In workers' comp, attorney's fees are not based on the medical portion of a settlement, including an MSA. So there's really no reason for the workers' compensation attorney to be pushing for the MSA to be done on the workers' compensation side. So your GL defense attorney should really be taking this into consideration. It can definitely save the owner and the carrier a couple hundred thousands of dollars while closing out both cases at the same time. All right, so that's all I have for global settlements. Um, I know it can be a little complicated or complex with the calculations, especially taking Kelly, Burns, and Bissell into consideration. Um, but I know that the, the claims handlers and adjusters uh, are very familiar with them. They have the formulas that they use. We always provide assistance if necessary in how to calculate them. They do play a big role in determining potential future exposure, which is something we have to look at when we're thinking about these global settlements. Um, the three scenarios, no coordination. There is some coordination, but there's fresh money moving in the Section 32. And then the final one is no money moving in the Section 32. The final one is the one that we've always seen work out to, the, to be the best, the biggest uh, cost saver to the client and the, uh, the, the, the owner, the insurance carrier. Um, so we definitely always recommend collaboration between the parties when trying to settle out these cases globally. I, I know it sounds a little complex doing the, the calculations and running the numbers sometimes, but it's really simple. If you have a case that you're working on and you'd like me to just take a look at the numbers, definitely let me know. I can crunch out a couple of different uh, scenarios too so you can assist your client with uh, making the proper decision. Um, also very important with the consent to settle and the terms of you know, the lien waiver, whether it's full or partial, those should be documented. Everyone should be signing to it and the section, the consent should be contingent on a section 32. This is really the number one way of getting the claimant to agree to close out the section 32, which will 
help you curb your future exposure. All right, so that's all I have for today in global settlements. I'll take your questions. You can start typing in your questions. Um, but next month, October 5th, the first Monday, we're going to be talking about coverage disputes. This is actually one of my favorite topics because it, it deals with like digging into insurance policies and, you know, knowing about your wrap-up project and so forth. So that's what we'll be talking about next month. And come November, we'll, also, we'll, we'll be revisiting how to calculate exposures. And that's when I'll go into Kelly, Burns, and Bissell a little more. And, um, you know, some of the things that the clients are thinking about from their perspective. All right. So I'll see you next month, but after I address any questions that you have. So let me take a look here. <clears throat> Oh, I have no questions. All right. Well, I hope my explanations were all good and clear. Um, if you think of any questions, definitely send me an email or give me a call. Again, if you need a copy of my book, I can definitely get a copy out to you, a hard copy, or I can email you a PDF copy. Um, as always, thank you for joining me here. Um, I will see you again in about a month's time and if you have any questions on anything we've done anything we've discussed for the past year you can also email those to me and um, I'll get back to you I'll respond to your email or give you a quick call um, but that's all for now happy September and I'll see you all next month take care